Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. It's time for TSM Press Box. Opinions, analysis, and the occasional awkward silence. Here's your host, Jonas Siegel. Super Bowl is right around the corner. If you're looking for a place to bet on any of the sports going on, betonline.ag is the best and only place to lock it in. A friend of mine once won so much money on the Super Bowl that uh, when he took the winning and bought his wife a very expensive coat inscribed in the inside of the coat were the words, thank you, John Riggin. So why don't you also play along, have some fun. From game spreads and totals to team player coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than any place online. There's always the online casino as well, if that's your thing. Head to betonline.ag today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Again, that's betonline.ag and sign up today. Welcome back. Another episode, Believe in the Press Row. A uh, what looks like it's going to be a actually nice sunny day here in Seattle. It's Wednesday, February third, and uh, lots going on. It has been a very interesting week. It, you know, it's hard to believe it's only Wednesday. It feels like it's Friday. Um, very hard to watch what's happening in the Canadian sports media world with tons and tons of layoffs, unfortunately. So, anyone listening who is affected, uh, we certainly hope that you are able to find meaningful things to do with your time quickly. Uh, Jonas Siegel here. Really thrilled to, uh, we, we have talked numerous times on various social media platforms. Uh, we've never seen each other face-to-face, except as we're seeing now. Granted, you can't see either of us. Um, first time we're actually speaking live. He is Rob Longley of the Toronto Sun and Post Media Sports. Is that the, is that the exact right title? For today, yeah, that's 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 the fit, Jonah. It's been various things over the years, but post media and Toronto Sun, that's where well, we're at. Thrill, thrilled to have you for for a host of reasons. One, obviously, the topic of Blue Jays is hot. You were sharing with me offline before we started that you had a a rat. What one would think would be a rather innocent tweet last night about the Blue Jays bringing a 37-year-old who's closer to my age, than, or our age, I should say, um, than some of the other players they, they have on, in camp to a tryout, and that being a massively popular, uh, if not the most engaged tweet you've ever had, which is kind of surprising. Uh, Blue Jays are certainly hot, so it's good to talk to you about that. Um, having said that, there's lots of stuff about baseball going on as we're now staring spring training right in the, right in the eye. But you, you've had a really cool career, um, a pivot, which is apparently the word of the day, kind of midstream moving from football, uh, especially NFL, which is how I think, I think you did an airwaves piece, of, if memory serves me correct, at one point. And then you also, you know, you were a big football guy and pivoted into baseball. So really happy to have you join us today. Yeah, there was a, there was a lost decade in there as well, where I uh, covered the Leafs for 10 years. Um, which led to a pretty interesting exchange a few days after I met John Gibbons for the first time when he sat me down in his office. Uh, it was towards the end of the 2017 season, actually. And he said, 
you covered that hockey team, right? And I said, yeah, I did, Gibby. How many years did you cover them for? 10 years, Gibby. How many years did they make the playoffs? One. Just, and the, let me get this straight. And you came over to our beat in 2017 after we made the playoffs two consecutive years? <laughs> get out of my office. <laughs> so, yeah, so, I had 10 years on the Leafs before I uh, moved over to the Blue Jays. So it sounds to me that he was a really unique character in how he engaged with people in general. Um, but he was an exceptionally good person to the media. Um, to, to deal with and, and not just in terms of interviewing, but actually many of you had a genuine relationship with the guy. Yeah, I, I, I think that's a pretty fair characterization. In fact, moving over to the baseball beat, which is, you know, a pretty unique beat in, in terms of professional sports, in terms of the tempo and, and the way things are done. Uh, working with John Gibbons was, was, was a great way to do it, especially um, with the time you, had, you, you got to spend with him and, and in particular on the road. I mean, I would sit in his office in a visiting clubhouse sometimes for an hour and we'd, we'd talk baseball, we'd talk life, we'd talk other things. And I really learned a lot. I mean, it was a new, it was a new beat for me. Sure. I knew the basics of baseball and I knew, you know, was well enough first with the history of the team, but in terms of the nuances of how to cover baseball and, and what, and how all that worked uh, and all the time you, you spend in the company of these people, John, John Gibbons couldn't have been a better ambassador and a better guy to get to know at that point in my career. And talking to others was Cito was before Gibby. Was was Cito like? Is that a baseball thing? Like, does that happen with the current man? I mean, obviously you're not in, you're not going to games now, but right. Is that a common thing that 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 writers get that kind of access to managers, especially and, and develop those relationships, or is that um, new? No, I think that's probably you know that goes back to the beginning of the sport almost. Um, uh, some of the old time scribes, that's how, the, that's how they, they covered the game. They got to know the manager and the manager was the window to the team. Um, Charlie Montoyo is certainly a vastly different personality than John Gibbons ever was and ever will be, but he's a guy that you can have a personal relationship as well with. And in fact, when you have a one-on-one -on -one conversation with him and off the record, he tends to be a little bit more engaging and a little bit more comfortable than my, than what you might see on the, on the, on the, to TV clips. And I think that's a function of just experience. I mean, he's, uh, you know, he worked as a third base coach in, in Tantampa and he was barely interviewed. And now he comes to this fairly large market and he has to do it twice a day. It's been a bit of a learning curve for him, but get him away from the cameras. And he's a very engaging man and a very, very smart baseball man. So, I mean, I, I actually thought Gibby to the, I wasn't a fan. I will declare it. Um, whatever um and i and i just what we don't need to go there it was nothing right. like I, I wouldn't i wouldn't really know him if i saw him to, to borrow the old pat quinn adage um right. i think it was pat quinn who said that about bill berg um and he didn't say if i saw him but <laughs> how much of that is based on trust so you having to develop a level of trust with the guy that off the record means off the record, so to speak. And, 
that comes from face-to-face regular contact over more than 162 games, right? Over 162 days. Yeah, de- most definitely. It's, it is, is it, it is a trust factor and there's a, there's a feeling out process. Um, as affable as he could be and as friendly and as inviting as he could be, um, he had to, before he would become more forthcoming with you, he had to, he had to get that trust with you. And I found that was the case with the baseball beat overall. And in general, I thought, I thought like, this will be my fifth year on the beat now. And it took me well into my second and maybe even into my third year before you got sources that could, that you could uh, rely on and that they could trust you. And that's just the way it works. I mean, building trust takes time. Um, it, it, it's FaceTime, it's, it's length of time, and it's trusting your work, uh, knowing that you're going to take something that's confidential and keep it that way and file it away for perhaps future use or, or future investigation, but not to burn anybody. And it, it, it's, I mean, source building is like that in any sport, in any beat, but perhaps baseball, it takes, it takes a little bit longer. How, although he had a role similar to it before, how did things change with former colleague Richard Griffin going to the team side as opposed to being, you know, another beat guy, but a a colleague in that he was a writer? I mean, I would imagine he can bring a lens to his job having been part of the Toronto beat. Uh, Did you see any changes, better, worse? I don't think he listens to this, so I think you're safe. Um, how has that gone? Uh, it's gone very well. I mean, I can't, I can't say enough good things about Griff, as we all call him. Um, when I first moved on to the Blue Jays beat in 2017, um, I won't say he took me under his wing because I'm probably too old to be taken under anybody's wing, but he made sure that I was in the right places at the right time, particularly on the road. We're, we're competitors. He's not going to give give away anything and, and give away a competitive edge, but he was very gracious and very um, approachable and very very much making sure that I was was going to get comfortable on the beat, which I found extraordinary from a competitor, and very much appreciated. And when he shift, shifted over to the Blue Jays, um, you know our our relationship didn't change a whole lot. Obviously, there's a bit of an adversarial side to it now. He's got to protect the team and the team interests. But I think where Griff has done a really good job with the Blue Jays is as much as he can anyway. He makes makes the, the point to to his bosses that not only does he have to serve the best interests of the ball club, he has to serve the best interests of best interests of the people covering the ball club, which can be a very ticklish situation in, in, in a lot of instances, especially when we're going through a busy offseason like this where there's a lot of news happening, but not of it, not a lot of it coming from the front office. So He's got to try to balance that. And I think, you know, for the most part, he's done it. Um, He's a Blue Jay now, and he'd be the first to admit it. But he has such strong roots in the media side of it that that I don't think that the things that are important to the people working the beat, I don't think he'll ever forsake those and and, uh, not do his best to sort of try to facilitate us. So you you talked about... uh, Access and and regular meetings, and, and here we are... I, we're we're got to be got pretty close to 12 months now. I think I came home from Japan uh, right around now a year ago as all of this was starting. Um, access is a funny thing. Uh, I talked to Doug Smith uh, last week on the podcast. Um, scheduling was a little challenging 
because he had to be sitting by his computer for Zoom interviews. Um, how? I, I, my understanding is that no one is going down to Dunedin on the Toronto media side to cover spring training in what is largely going to be the biggest, if you will, or certainly the most important in a long time, certainly the most buzzworthy, the cost of, of not going to, to your ability to do that job, especially with so many new faces, how do you overcome that? It's tough. I mean, it, it really is. Uh, um, as you mentioned, uh, the latest that we latest indication we've had is that n- none of the media is going to be down in Dunedin. Um, MLB is not banning media uh, from, from spring training, but they're certainly not encouraging it. They're leaving it up to, to the teams to, to decide how they're going to facilitate. And the Blue Jays have basically said that um, until games are played, there'll be zero access at all. In other words, um, their, their brand new training facility, which is about a mile or so from the, from the stadium, will be off limits to the media throughout training camp because of the protocols and because of all sorts of other things. So really, it's, it's going to be all, all done by Zoom. And yeah, that's going to be a big challenge because, you know, quite frankly, the most productive time of my year is that month or six weeks or whatever I spend in Dunedin, where you build relationships, where you see players every day, where you um, go over to the minor league complex and get to know some of the minor league guys that are some of the top prospects that are going to be with the big team a year or two down the road. And, you know, the players notice, the players notice the media that are there. And I, and I think that it's, it's the same with any other sport, but, um, and, and that's how you get to know them. And that's how you get to lay the groundwork. And that's how you file away stuff for whatever it might be a feature story or something that's going to come up in a game in the middle of the season. And now that's all going to be lost. We're going to be left to, um, get up to speed and basically just cover the day-to-day business via Zoom calls. And when there's 10, 12, 15 people on a Zoom call asking a guy, asking guy, a guy questions, you can't personalize it too much. And I, and I think it's going to be a big loss. Now, the Jays have said what they're going to try to facilitate one-on-one calls, whether they're via Zoom or, or via cell phone, but it's, there's no way it's going to be even close to the same. And I really wonder what the cost is going to be coverage-wise. Um, as you know, I went down to Buffalo last summer um, and was there for all the games that they played in Buffalo and I think nine or 10 in Boston. I just drove between the two cities. There was no access there beyond the Zoom, but at least you could see stuff. I mean, you could see guys in the bullpen. When Nate Pearson walked out to throw a bullpen, you could see him out there. When Rowdy Telez was hobbling around the stadium with a big cast on his leg and crutches, you could see that. And at least you were able to get some sort of sense of what was going on. Um, you, you, you might run into a player in, in a lobby at the hotel or something like that and say hello. But, um, you know, not having any of that in spring training, I think that's, that's going to be very difficult. And all of us on the beat, you know, whether it's myself, whether it's the people at the Star, Sportsnet, we're all, we're all fi- finding it a challenge and, and trying to make do, but it's, it's nowhere near as ideal or anywhere close to it as what we've had in the past. By all, by all accounts even though they pulled it off. I've been told that from a player perspective, no disrespect to the fine folks of Buffalo and the city of, and they bailed us out. Um, I'm, I'm told it was a gong show uh, from a player perspective that they hated it and that the likelihood of them returning to play games in Buffalo this year is next to zero. Say so that's accurate. I would think- 
I would think the next to zero part would be would be accurate. Um, and I think the main reason, Jonah, is, you know, the season's scheduled to start on April 1st with a home opener on April 8th. You don't want to be anywhere, with all due respect to Buffalo, a city that I quite love, actually, and really enjoy going there. You don't want to be anywhere near uh, Buffalo and playing an outdoor game in April. Talk to any of the guys that were on the on the Bisons on their way up uh, to the Jays. Talk to Charlie Montoya, who was there as a player with the Durham Bulls when he was when he was a, a young player. Um, they hated it. I mean, and it's it's just do you want you, you go and get offense? You got a team full of young offensive stars. You don't want them playing in Buffalo. The ball flew out of Buffalo last summer, but it doesn't fly out of the, out of Buffalo that way in April and May. So I, I would have to think that Dunedin would be um, would be the the prime choice or the lead choice to to start. Now, now I'm not so sure that the the, the Blue Jays players themselves hated it there. I think uh, I think visiting teams certainly did. I mean, they're so used to the to the you know, the, the perks of, a, of an MLB clubhouse and an MLB stadium, but not long into the, to their schedule at Salem field, the Blue Jays realized that they had a little bit of a home field advantage. Um, you know, they, for starters, the, the opposition didn't want to be there. The Yankees were the only ones that were really outspoken about it, but they, they wanted no part of it. And they started winning games, balls were flying out and they really got in. And I think a lot of this came from Montoyo, but I think it was a real, one for all and all for one sort of mindset. Um, they didn't do much. They essentially lived in quarantine. There wasn't much to do in Buffalo. Um, they didn't go out for meals from what I could tell there was, they kept Uber eats and, uh, and the various food services <laughs> busy, but, and the Tim Hortons in the, that was in the lobby of the hotel that they were staying at, but you know, it wasn't, it wasn't a vacation. It was, it never felt like home for them, but they did have a home field advantage. And once they started having some, some success, these kids, you know, maybe, maybe it'll be a good, it'll, it will be a good bonding experience for them as they go forward. But uh, yeah, um, I don't think anybody will miss not being in Buffalo this summer. And I'm, I'd certainly be surprised if that's, that's the way it would turn out. Is, uh, is the Dunedin state, I've only been outside of it. Is it, I know it works for spring training. Uh, is it viable for major league baseball games, regular season? I, I think they'll make it viable. Now you may remember that um, when we went down for spring training last year, they had just completed, you know, some fairly extensive renovations to the, to the place. And it looked, it looked a lot better than it had in the past. And it was, you know, widely regarded as you know, one of the worst facilities uh, in Florida for, for, for major league teams. Um, they did upgrade the lighting. Uh, so, so that would make it doable. And I think what, what we would see we would see the Jays do most all of their prep work over at their 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 facility, which they they pump millions of dollars into, and is currently state of the art and maybe maybe the best training facility in Florida now. And then the you know they build sort of a weight room and, and such for the for the visiting team to to get it as close to major league standards as possible. Um, I see the Red Sox have announced that they're going to let a quarter capacity in for games. I don't know if the Blue Jays would do that. I'm sure at some point they would consider it. Um, but my issue, and I don't think there's anything they can do about it. My issue with playing games at TD ballpark in Dunedin is that it's really a bandbox. I mean, balls fly out of there like crazy, especially early, especially this time of year, especially between, but before the humidity, um, of the summer makes the air a little bit heavier. Balls really fly out of there, particularly to right field. So it'll really be a hitter's ballpark. 
the pitching staff might like it. Maybe all these young guns in the lineup <laughs> might enjoy it and, and, and have some success. And the other issue would be if they're there all season, once you get into May and June and July, um, there's a reason there's a, there's a reason that the Rays play in a dome. I mean, every time I've been in, in, in Tropicana field somewhere in the night, you hear the thunderstorms outside. So I think, you know, what, ironically, weather could actually be an issue if the, if the Blue Jays were based in Florida for, for much of the summer. And if they're, if you're going, if you're operating on a somewhat compressed schedule, that makes it an even bigger challenge. Well, I mean, it got, everyone's saying how awesome it is that they want to play in Toronto. Like no shit, Sherlock, right? Like yeah. big surprise. Um, so, and one, I don't blame them Two, I don't blame them for saying it. Um, it's just hard to imagine the board, hard to imagine situation being dramatically better in two months that the border is open enough that free flowing athletes both ways makes a whole lot of sense. I just, I personally yeah. can't see that happening for some time, um, which is unfortunate. And I, I guess there's no viable non-used stadiums elsewhere. Is that right? Like they couldn't play in the Tampa stadium, right? Like that wouldn't work. I, I think sharing a stadium would be would be a challenge. Um, I think the reason they looked at that option in, in a couple of different venues last year was it, it was a 60 game season. And so you're looking at less than 30 home dates um, the, the way it, the way it played out. But when you're trying trying to play a full 81, you want to have you want to have it really feel like a home. And, you don't. I mean, so, yeah, if you were to share Tropicana Field with the Rays, first of all, they're in the same division, but. How do you how do you do that with 100? What would essentially be 162 home dates for, for two teams? I think the logistics of that would be would be too uh, too difficult. But to 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 your other point, like I I all along I've sort of thought maybe July 1st would be the best case that we would see J, the Jays back in Toronto. But I don't even know if that's feasible now. Do you, you know the way the border is, the way this the new strain of the virus is. I mean, not even that might be an optimistic view. Yeah, I mean, so, it seems to me that we might be okay for a little while because there's no holidays coming up that I can think of that are going to lead to mass gatherings of people or, or a lot of people going away. It seems that every time we feel the urge to gather on mass or to travel when we're not supposed to, that's when we, you know, two weeks later, we see the spike. And I think we're safe till May. Like, I don't think we have well, anything... You're you're forgetting the great national holiday this weekend, Super Bowl Sunday. Yeah, I mean, listen, I, I true, fair enough, but I, I don't no, think too people many people travel. are travel for that. No, um, no. agreed. Granted, yeah, you, know, you know, given your football background, I see that prices for Super Bowl tickets, uh, Ticketmaster, are like thirty grand. It's just seems yeah. the whole thing just seems so bizarre. But whatever. Really um, yep. So. It's been an incredible off season to watch. I would imagine it's been an incredible one to cover as well because of the ups and downs of it. Um, I've never seen before a team so out there with interest to be active as they were this year. And news, as you know, comes from somewhere. So part of its agents, um, but every good reporter has sources, as we talked about earlier, 
the fact that the Blue Jays were in on everybody, uh, only so much of that comes from an agent. The rest of it has to be coming, at least in part, from internal Blue Jay sources, uh, which is fine. Have you ever seen anything like that? Being Home with Hunker is a podcast where we visit with designers, artists, and creatives in the spaces that express and shape their identities, their homes. If you love design and decor, if you're curious about how people live, or if you've been transitioning or transforming your own home, you'll love these honest conversations. Join us weekly at Being Home with Hunker. Visit hunker.com forward slash podcast where you can find, subscribe, and listen to the show. No, no. And, you know, the more, it's funny how it sort of evolved because initially, like yourself, the tendency would be to think, you know, wait a minute. Okay. They're in on this guy. They're in on this. Yeah. Apparently they're in on everybody. Like, is this, is this really the deal? But the, the more it went along and the more that you, you got to talk to sources about it, the more you, you realized that yes, indeed they were in on everybody. And then as, as things started to actually happen and, you know, I think we've talked to three or four of the guys that the Jays have, have been able to acquire this off season. And to a man, they basically say that, you know what, the Jays were the first ones to contact us. And not only that, they were the first ones to show real interest. And, and, and they came at us with serious offers. And then if you look around baseball, almost nobody else was doing that. The Mets were, uh, the Padres were, the Yankees were to a little, to a, to a smaller extent, but nobody else was. So, um, you know, there's a reluctance in this market uh, for a variety of reasons to give uh, Mark Shapiro and Ross Atkins credit, but I think they, I think they really seized upon that opportunity once they were armed with the money and the and the secret key to the Rogers vault that they were allowed to spend this off season. I think they said, "Hey, wait a minute, man, we're the we're among the only ones able to do this. So let's get out there. Let's get at least get." as much as we can and and let's get one of these big tickets because you know if, if the world comes back to normal next year everybody's going to be wanting to spend and then where are we going to be on the list how are we going to get a george springer next year this might be our only chance for now until we get really competitive and prove that we're a contender so let's get let's get out there and do this and armed with the with the financial backing to do so uh, they did it i give them credit for it for being in on everybody and who knows? I mean, they may not, may not be done yet. I don't expect another big deal, but I know that they're out there kicking tires still. So my hypothesis has been that the reaction, if you will, and, and I'm going to start and I say this every time, winning cures all. So I don't care how much people hate these guys for whatever reason that we're going to discuss in a second. You get the team into the playoffs and, and I think that, I think we can say that last year was a bit of an asterisk because it was expanded, but whatever you get this team into the playoffs and they make a run and somehow either they get to the world series or they win one all is forgiven. Alex who, if you will, right? Like people just want to support a winner uh, and they will fill that place. All the issues of the dome go away when it's full. Uh, they don't care who's doing Jay's talk or who's calling play by play. If they win all of those issues, magically go away so so that's the first caveat but i almost feel i think there's one part of it that the two guys own mostly shapiro but i think a big chunk of the fact that they're so disliked or were so disliked or mistrusted was they were set up to fail and i think ownership 
specifically the man at the top uh, on the family side, set these guys up to fail. And that is, by all accounts, the business side of things was a bit of a mess. Uh, the, the, the company had not been run like a modern day sports organization and massive change needed to come. Um, so Shapiro was brought in to rebuild the organization, both from a business and from a baseball standpoint. And then, oh my God, they made a run for things and they saw the value of making a run of things where the dome is suddenly at, you know, 40 plus a night ratings are through yeah. the roof, you know, everywhere. And I, you know, coast to coast, blue Jay red hats are everywhere. And now what do you do? Cause how do you pull the plug? And those guys were given a mandate to do it. And suddenly the mandate was changed midstream. Uh, and the, proverbial bottom being pulled out as in let's get rid of the aging guys let's rebuild was delayed and that delay doesn't fall on them and i think that's a i think that's a muted story so i think from that perspective the fact that it's taken x number of years they get a pass like that's not really their fault uh i think if they were allowed to execute on day one they would have bautista edwin they um donaldson would have been gone a lot sooner for probably a lot more had these guys had their wishes and been allowed to do what they were actually hired to do when they were told to do it. Um, the thing that I think they own is they, they seem to follow the white, the Lywicki playbook and just being tone deaf to the market when they arrived. And I don't know why that is, but they came across as not being, uh, well-versed in the passion of the marketplace and, and, and seem to come across as arrogant and cold uh, to the fan base. Yeah, there's, there's a few things to unpack in there, and, and you made a lot of good points, a lot, a lot of which I agree. Um, first to sort of their, the, the initial impression that the marketplace had on these two guys, it, it, you're right. I mean, it was a very cold reception. Everybody loved Alex, right? I and Paul Alex, and Paul and Paul. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, they were very forthcoming. They were very uh, visible. They were very um, affable. They understood the market, both of them intensely. Well, obviously Paul grew up with it and, and Alex is Canadian. So they, they knew everything there was to know about the market. There was no secrets there. They knew how to play the market. They knew how to thrive in it. And then they had some success. So then you bring these guys in and they've got a plan and, and, time is starting to show that it was actually a pretty good plan and it just it just didn't work in the minds of the fans right it was like what are, what are these guys going to do um they were they were somewhat aloof in in some ways um and i think that was maybe misplaying the market a little bit i don't know if you've noticed but certainly over the last year uh, mark shapiro has been much more visible in the media um he sat down with a number of us uh, last year at spring training individual individually I don't know if that was a conscious attempt by by them to sort of increase uh, improve his image but it certainly at the very least it, it helped some of us understand his mindset and, and and him personally a little bit more and I think maybe that was something that looking back on they, they might have wanted to do a little bit earlier but you make another really good point as it applies to 2017 I mean ideally that would have been the time when you start getting rid of these guys and start getting some value for them, as you, as you mentioned, the, the Bautistas, the Donaldsons, but 
you know, you're the new guys in the market and your team has just gone to the playoffs in 2015 and 2016 and really could have made a better run at it in 2016 if things would have unfolded a little bit differently. Now you've got this wild coast to coast popularity, um, probably like as we discussed off air, probably like never seen before, arguably as popular coast to coast as they were when their World Series years. So you've got this sudden wealth from that, the sudden coast to coast popularity, and now you're going to strip it down. And, and, you know, subsequently, Ross Atkins has been very vocal about or very honest about that, very forth, forthright about it and said, you know, we couldn't. We, we, and, and I think there was still a belief that, that there was enough there in those guys, even though they were aging, that there was enough there that they could put more run, one more run together. And they tried and it's just, you know, the, the season fell apart almost from the start. And and now it was too late. Now the value is gone on some of these, you know, soon to be expiring contracts. And um, it, it kind of made a bungle out of that year. And it set the rest of the process back by a year. So, yeah, I, I, I could I could be on board with your 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 idea that let's give them a bit of a pass for that, just because of the way the circumstances all came together over that period. Well, they absolutely have either listened to somebody or decided to work on their public persona just listening to them do regular radio hits they're much more likable um they're not ross atkins used to remind me of smithers from uh the simpsons like he was just so smug and and came across really as condescending and both of them have really warmed up to the marketplace. And as I said, I think the underlying, I think they have a lot more confidence, outward confidence in their performance and what's coming around the corner, which probably makes it easier. But yeah, I, I was a harsh critic because of the persona side of it. I think that uh, they've done a good job polishing their image. And I don't think it was much of a surprise that they got re-upped and I think it was deserved I think that uh, again given the fact that they were hired to do X then we're told they can't do X and that was put off you can't really judge and I would imagine it's difficult to admit that publicly that when you report to the owner Um, Mm -hmm. you know dumping on management or dumping on junior if you will when he's the one pulling the strings probably wouldn't be the wisest move irrespective of the veracity of the statement. Yeah. You know, I never found Ross uh, as smug and condescending, particularly, you know, he was, he was very uh, helpful and approachable, especially in, in my first couple of years on the beat. And well, but what I will say is that maybe it took him a little bit of time to grow into the public part of that job. I mean, he's has, has very extensive experience in, in front office, uh, both in Cleveland, um, in Cleveland, um, he was a farm director there and he was, you know, worked, worked his way up to an assistant GM, I think it was. But in none of those positions, he, he, was he the face of the franchise? Was he having to deal with the media? Was he having to explain the machinations of what was going on? And I think for him, I, I, I suspect he would probably admit it. I think for him, there was a little bit of a learning curve with that part of the job. And uh, to your point, he's certainly he's certainly come a long way in that regard. And is, uh, I think comes across to the public better than he did maybe initially. Yeah, and I think in fairness, and this is no disrespect, but the media, I would imagine that the media obligations and volume in Toronto is very different than Cleveland. Yeah, and I think that was one of the things that those two guys were 
perhaps unfairly in some ways critic criticized about was you know hey this ain't cleveland man this is a this is a big this is a big market and maybe maybe they didn't maybe they didn't have a complete understanding of it um maybe the shadow of alex initially was a little bit too uh, too tall um maybe that the fact that they had to get rid of such so many popular players hurt them as well maybe it was a mix of all of those things but they've certainly grown into their roles um the blueprint that they put in basically from as soon as they could is starting to reap its rewards and they both seem to to have uh shined up their image a little bit as you mentioned and i think that's that's probably a good thing well it's you know spring training is not far away assuming that not they don't <laughs> assuming they don't i mean i know the the league tried to delay and the players balked which was bizarre but what have you mm-hmm. um this season's important right like they've spent the money uh, to their credit, they've spent the money with literally no, forget guarantee, uh, no real r- reason to understand how the, they're going to generate revenue outside of TV. Do you think that the CBA, the CBA expires after the season, if I am correct? Correct, yeah. Do you think we're heading for Armageddon after the season? Yeah, I mean, right now all signs point to it. Um, and if if MLB and the union were smart and there's certainly been no indication that they, they are smart in, in terms of um, the way they relate to each other, they would start to work on that now. But my sense is that the distrust between the two sides is just so high. Um, the fact that they wouldn't even, the union wouldn't even hear of negotiating about a delayed start to the season. It's just rooted in dis- distrust from what happened last year when, they ended up playing a 60 game season when there's no reason on earth that they couldn't have played a 75 game season, but they squabbled and they, and they squandered opportunities in the middle of a pandemic and both sides feel that they can't trust each other. And it's really, it's really building towards that Armageddon. And we're going to see it in December when they sit down to try to hammer out a deal uh, for next year. So I was just thinking about this the other day, we had less than half of a season last year, if you were a gambler, the smart one would be that maybe this season would be reduced because of trying to play a 162 game season in these conditions. Who would be surprised if it got reduced somewhat? And then who knows what's going to have happen next year? We may go three consecutive seasons where we don't have a full 162 game schedule played. And that that's, that's not good. Not good for a, you know, a major professional sports league. It, it, it can happen on a one-off, but three years in a row, eesh, I don't know. I remember vividly Donald Fear versus Bud Selig. Uh, I believe in ninety, the ninety five ish era, ninety five, ninety six, ninety seven. If, if in that era, I don't in remember exactly era, yeah. what year yeah. it was. Called. It, it seems to me that the competitive imbalance of baseball is is pretty dire right now. When here in Seattle, like literally nobody cares. Um, you know, if, if things were normal and opening season, opening day were coming, crickets. I mean, they eat crickets at the stadium, but <laughs> literally there are markets where opening day's theme is can't wait till next year, right? Like, right. This is not good. Uh, and, and for teams to try to compete, um, there's more incentive not to compete from a financial perspective. How do they, you know, 
I would imagine that's the battle that needs to be fought, right? Because it's not good for teams and it's not good for players when there's only three or four teams bidding on top free agents because the middle's the middle's getting eviscerated, right? Yeah, and there's you know there's com- almost like complete transparency about it. They're not they're not hiding the fact that they're. I mean, it's just look at what they do. They're willing to be not competitive. It's, I don't know how you operate a business like that, but uh, it's 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 a big bigger problem than I think a lot of people are willing to acknowledge in facing the sport right now. And one has to believe that for sure the salary cap will be thrown around, mm-hmm. um, but it, it will be pretty abhorrent. It'll be as nasty a word as Corona. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, if, if, if major league baseball made that their hell to die on, I think we would lose at least a full season. Um, you know, maybe we're seeing them try, maybe we're seeing various owners trying to do just that now with, with so few of them bidding competitively on players and, and, you know, masking it under the umbrella of the pandemic, we don't have revenues. So why would we spend? The Jays are doing the opposite. They're saying, spend to get good and then that's when we make our money but they're almost a lone wolf in that in that regard it's uh it it, the whole thing i think it's going to be so frustrating for blue jay fans because i think they're going to have a good year you know barring the unforeseen the stars are aligned for them and and maybe they make the world series maybe they win it Maybe they make the playoffs. I understand it'll be more challenging this year because we're reverting to the old playoff rules, if you will. But mm-hmm. certainly there should be a lot of excitement around the team. And it's going to be reminiscent of Expo Expo experience when they went into that stoppage. Uh, and it's not unlikely that we don't have baseball next season. Yeah, I hadn't thought of it in those terms, but that, that's a really good point. What if you what if you as the Blue Jays get such huge momentum? You've got Ryu just completing his second year. You've got Springer's first year under his belt. You've got these kids, you know, presumably going to take another step forward this year. And then all of a sudden you hit like a, a brick wall with it and you got to wait another 12 months or six months or eight months to, to see it again. That's, that's going to really sting a team like Toronto. Um, and... Yeah, well, I the window the I window know. doesn't stay open forever, and everybody unfortunately Correct. gets older every year. Yeah, exactly. You know, these we're talking Ryu and, and Springer both in their thirties right now. So, and and you know, again, presumably, when you sign Ryu, you, when you you pay the money to get Ryu for an extra year, the fourth year, and Springer an extra year, the sixth year, um, you're acknowledging that you're going to get a decline in performance at some point in that contract. So, you know to lose a good part of a season or a whole season. Yeah. Yeah. It's very costly. Well, this has been awesome. I would be remiss if I didn't ask an ex football guy for a prediction for the weekend. I am actually, this is the most excited for a game that I've been in a long time, just because I think it's going to be fascinating to watch. Uh, I, I have no real rooting interest. Um, what are your thoughts about the big game this Sunday? Man, I've watched so much football this year. I've loved it. It's great. It's, you know, um, I think it was a great season. My, it was, you know, and it's and credit to them for getting it done. And without fans in the stands, it was still, you know, pretty much entertaining. Um, you know, it's if I have to make a pick and I do because I still do my selections <laughs> in, the, in the Toronto Sun. Uh, my strong lean is right now towards the Buccaneers. I'm, I'm going to sort of wait and see because I do it versus the point spread. 
Um, it's sitting at three. If it goes three and a half, if the, the Chiefs are favored by three and a half, I definitely take the Bucks. If it goes to two and a half, I would consider the Chiefs. But I, uh, I mean, I hate the I hate the hackneyed cliches, especially defense wins championships. In football, I like to think uh, sometimes the most under underestimated part of handicapping football is offensive line play wins championships. And I think that's where the Buccaneers have the edge on both lines, offensive and defensive. And it's not so much Brady versus Mahomes to me. It's, it's the physicality of the game. And the Buccaneers really impressed me with the physicality they played down the stretch. And that's where I'm leaning right now. So I don't know how often it is, and maybe you do. We didn't discuss this beforehand, so it's a little unfair. But <laughs> I don't know how often the line is, A, as slim as it is here. And I don't know how often the outcome is, is is within a couple of points of the line. But if it is, that has the makings for an epic game, uh, which is win-win for all of us. Yeah, I think any time you're within a field goal um, in, a, in a football game, it's it's as good as pick them and either team. It wouldn't be a surprise if either team won. And yeah, I think I think the, the possibility of an, of an epic game exists with this one. Uh, uh, we've seen in the past the types of comebacks that the Chiefs can make. I mean, everybody everybody loves the Tom Brady story. Um, maybe not everybody. Maybe not people down the road in Buffalo. You'd be, but... you'd be surprised how many people don't. It, it, I'm yeah. gonna, I don't like interrupting, but I'll tell you that I've had this discussion with a lot of friends. Uh, my, my son's 18. His friends, they all hate Brady. And, and I, I think it's like the only thing I can compare it to is growing up. I remember going to Maple Leaf Gardens and every time Wayne Gretzky touched the puck, he got booed. Yeah. yeah. So you, so you always hate the best and it's, it's jealousy and wishing they were on your team, I guess, what have you. Um, but I'm with like, to me, I want to see Brady win. Cause I don't know if we'll in our, my lifetime, we'll ever see anyone put up and perform the way that guy has. And every time you get to watch him and watch him be successful is, you know, another notch in the woods, so to speak. Um, but if we get to the point where whoever gets the ball last has a chance to win it with time running out, that's a win for all of us, in my opinion. Yes, because either of those quarterbacks, as young as Mahomes is, both of those quarterbacks have proven that they can lead, lead game-winning drives under extreme pressure and, and get the job done. So that's the, the, the ideal situation from an entertainment point of view would be a one-score game, one team gets the ball, uh, with two and a half minutes left and let's let's see if you could cement your greatness and then, all right so your prediction that's a real possibility so your prediction for final score final high score high scoring yeah you know i the, the over under i think is as high as like 56 which seems a little bit high to me because i think there'll be a, a tendency to try to run the ball at some point but um let's go with we will go with buccaneers 27 and the Chiefs 24, 27, 24 for the, for the Bucks. Oh, if, if, if that's the case, it'll be an exciting Sunday, which under the circumstances we all deserve. <laughs> there's a great, there's a great uh, stat I saw the other day though, that, um, and I forget the exact terms of it, but the, the Patriots under Brady and Super Bowls, I think have a combined three first quarter points. 
Wow. And that's if you and if you've studied and, and followed the Patriots like I have, I've read like five or six books on Belichick. I'm just fascinated by by his football genius. That speaks very much to the way that he operates, right? He sits back and sees how the other defense approaches things. There's no need, no need running your best plays in the first quarter until you see what what how the other team is going to defend you. Then he then he files that away and then brings out his good stuff for the second and third and fourth quarters. And it's and it's a very it's very much uh, chess the way that Bill Belichick and Tom Brady have approached things. So now under 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 Arians is he, is is Brady going to have more of a leash in the first quarter? We shall see. Well, it's been awesome chatting with you. The error of not doing it sooner shall be corrected in doing it again. Uh, this has been great. Lots to talk about. It certainly. The game and you know the game unfolds, and then what happens in the NFL next year. But certainly, uh, as that happens, all eyes naturally turn to baseball, um, with hockey and basketball obviously going on. But you know, given the offseason, the Blue Jays are going to be top of mind, and there's lots of things I'd still love to talk to you about. So I'm hoping you will come back and, and talk to us soon. It would be my pleasure. It was good catching up, Jonah. Thanks. Awesome. Thanks. Have a great day. You too. It's time for TSM Press Box. Opinions, analysis, and the occasional awkward silence. Here's your host, Jonah Siegel. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.